Hello. Oh my god, hi. What a surprise today. Max Smith recording a podcast. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? If you have not been here before, welcome to Gremlin Talk. I am your host, Max Shea Smith. I am a lot of things. I wear a lot of hats. I am a elite obstacle course racer. I am a ultra marathon runner. I'm a crossfitter. I'm a content creator. I am an incoming chemical engineering doctorate student at the University of Colorado Boulder, baby. I... I'm so excited. I just looked back and the last podcast I recorded was January 11th and that was a long time ago. And I, I listen, I know, I'm sorry. Uh, basically, every DM I open lately is like, yo, where is the podcast? And I get it. It's like, uh, it's like a chat with a friend when I record these podcasts. So I wanted to start with just like some quick life updates while we're here because this is my podcast and this is the podcast about my life so you have to hear about it okay I promise there will be more engaging topics as we go but so North Carolina updates first and foremost our puppy Maggie she is sniffing the mic right now did you guys hear that that was her sniffing that was so cute Maggie that was so cute she's like what's happening here I've never seen this before so today is Wednesday February 22nd it is actually my mother's birthday shout out Kelly and life has changed quite a bit in the last six weeks and I know I'm the worst because I was like I really 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 want to recommit to this podcast and then I was not feeling any creative energy whatsoever, which actually is something I'm going to talk about in this podcast today. In the last six weeks, we found out that I got accepted to grad school and I'm so excited. I have not talked a ton about engineering on the podcast, mostly because when I was starting the podcast, I was over it. I was done. I was in corporate America. I was working at my research lab. And honestly, I was just tired of engineering and I was ready to be a content creator full time. However, despite that feeling, uh, I have always retained just like a love and wonder for science and engineering. My journey in engineering is certainly a topic for another episode, like all on its own. But essentially, when I started at my old job, I knew that I wanted to go to grad school. In fact, something that drew me to, I had another job offer and then I said, like I had accepted another job offer girl boss um by the time my second job offer rolled around six months later accidentally again a story for a whole other day but I knew that this second job offer was going to offer me lots of benefits beyond the financial ones and one of those benefits was the fact that the research lab formerly had a population that was about 90% PhD. So I knew that I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't want to go right after undergrad. And I really would like some research experience. And I wanted to create connections with people who were in the industry using their research. And so I got to this really unique, it's the only uh, privately owned research lab in the country. I got into this very unique environment and it definitely paid forward because that is literally the reason I got into grad school. One of my coworkers knows uh, the department head at CU Boulder from grad school, connected me with him. I spoke with him one-on-one and I mean, he seems like a great guy. If I get to do research for him, I will be super pumped. But, you know, like it always comes down to who you know and all of that being said, I'm probably discrediting a lot of my own hard work too. So I would really, really, really like it noted. Um, I I did actually get into grad school on my own merit. Uh, I had great grades in college. I had work experience, I had internship experience. I I had research experience, um, lots of connections, great references. Like I had a very good application. So I shouldn't say, oh, it's just because I knew someone who knew someone. Like that's, that's not the real world. I I promise there were other factors, okay? So that is definitely the most world-changing update, I suppose, that has come of the last six weeks. Something else very exciting that ties into 
there's just this Colorado in general announcement that I'm very stoked about is I got into the High Lonesome 100 lottery. Somehow my name got pulled. So I'm going to be running High Lonesome 100 on July 22nd of this year. I have been in a weird, not post-race depression, a touch of seasonal depression in North Carolina, but not maybe post-race depression. I don't know. It's, you know, who am I to psychoanalyze myself? right? I got in High Lonesome and that was kind of like the start of this snowball effect of getting me out of this weird like moving depressed like I, I maybe depressed is the wrong word but like it really did seem like I had some seasonal affect disorder going on with the move to North Carolina. It's dark all the time here. I literally went from living in Malibu, Oahu, Phoenix to here the sun doesn't shine in North Carolina in the winter. Okay, so if you need the sun to survive, I would not recommend North Carolina. Okay. Regardless, I found out that my name got pulled because my friend Chris Roglowski texted me. She was like, hey, uh, you just got pulled in the High Lonesome Lottery. And I was like, what? She was like, yeah, I'm at the lottery polling right now. You just got pulled. And I was like, oh, Sweet. So I had submitted an application to get into High Lonesome when I found out I didn't get into Leadville. So I had submitted myself for the Leadville lottery. Obviously didn't get into Leadville. And I was like, well, I still want to run a summer hundred in Colorado. And at this point in early January, Max and I had no idea where we were going to be over the summer. Like he was told with his job, you know, maybe moving in March, maybe moving later. It seemed like it was going to be a lot later. Um, we had no idea if I'd gotten into grad school or not yet. So he wasn't quite ready to make any like hard moves with his job without like a good reason. So we had no idea where we were going to be. And I submit for the High Lonesome Lottery and I hadn't even looked at the race map. Like I had no idea what this course was like. And let me tell you, I believe the total of the race is 104 miles. It has, I can't remember if it's 24,000 or 28,000 feet of elevation gain. Um, I believe like almost the entire race takes place above like 10,000 feet. So definitely like a little high altitude moment. <laughs> and then my personal favorite thing about this course and what just fires me up about running it when I discovered that this was part of the course the race course shares miles with the Colorado Trail as well as the Continental Divide Trail. So flashback <laughs> to me on the Colorado Trail in uh, that would be last August. Okay, I started the Colorado Trail July 14th and I ended I believe August 12th. And on the Colorado Trail, you can choose to go on the collegiate east or you can go on the collegiate west and both of those are considered like Colorado Trail and then I mean collegiate west is technically like Colorado Trail alternate but it's also CDT so they like had everything connect up so that you can get back on the CT from the collegiate west and if you go back into my podcast history and you go back and you find the episode from last summer where I was talking about why we selected the Collegiate West, you will hear this whole discussion. But essentially, Val and I pulled up to Twin Lakes. <laughs> Val, um, we've known each other like three days, probably. We had gone from Leadville to Twin Lakes together, like 40 miles. And we pulled up to Twin Lakes and both of us are like, we're going Collegiate West, right? And she was like, yeah, we're going Collegiate West, like no matter what this guy says at the weather station or whatever. So we go into the visitor center at Twin Lakes and we're like, hey, like, you know, we're through hikers. Could you help us uh, check the weather on the Collegiate West? And this man's like, yeah, I got you. I have a degree in meteorology. Let me pull it up. He pulls up the Doppler or whatever it's called. And he goes, mm, yeah, that's not looking so good. We're like, what do you mean not so good? He's like, yeah, it looks like, you know, scattered thunderstorms every day for the next week. And Val and I are like, okay, but like, what does that mean? And he's like, just, you know, just like be off the high peaks by, you know, noon or so. Um, and then we go down into Twin Lakes. We end up running into two of our friends, Mel and Starbucks. And I have like a Snapchat memory from last summer. And it's a picture of Mel. And she's like, we'll just get up at 2 a.m. and finish hiking at 10 a.m. 
And like that was her solution to the collegiate West conundrum. Regardless, Val and I continue on without Starbucks and Mel on the Collegiate West. Uh, the first day is like up Hope Pass, which is iconic Leadville course history right there. And um, it, you know, Collegiate West turns out to be a little bit of a nightmare. Like the first day we climbed like 5,000 feet. Um, we had the best sunset of our life. And then the next day it rained all day. We were literally fighting for our life. And then we slept at Cottonwood Pass and Val got really, really sick. And she was like, dude, like you can leave me if you have to. And I was like, bro, I'm not fucking leaving you. Like I've known you for five days, but you have to stay with me the rest of the trail. Okay. And then the day after that, or oh my God, it was the morning when she woke up like so sick that we had just a completely exposed day ahead of us. And it was the most beautiful day on trail. Okay. And guess, oh, wait, it'd be the day after that. So we had like our most beautiful day ever, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We slept. And then the next day, woke up and again, more high mountain passes. Um, I left both of my pairs of underwear. I literally had one pair of underwear after this day. And I have the worst memory on the planet. The only reason I remember all of these very specific details is because of the daily vlogs of the Colorado Trail that are on my YouTube channel. So if you're like, wow, it's so odd that you remember these things. Yeah, it is because I documented the shit out of this trail. Like I wanted to remember every detail. That is why I did this. I have a horrible memory. So if you're curious and you want to check out those details, you know what? Go ahead. Go watch like I think there's like 12 hours of footage on my YouTube channel. Go for it. So I leave two of my three pairs of underwear, including a pair of period underwear that a Leadville trail angel gave me. I was so sad I left these like literally devastated uh, on a tree at our campsite. So if you do the CT this year and those pair of underwear are still there, then like, congrats, you found my underwear in the woods. All right. And I realized it within literally one mile of camp. And I was like, you know what? It wouldn't be through high camp. I only had one pair or if I had more than one pair of underwear, you know? So that's my reasoning for why I had one pair of underwear on the Colorado Trail. It's not a good one. So that day that I forgot my underwear at our campsite, um, not very leave no trace of me. I know. Okay. Please don't attack me. It was not on purpose. I tried my best. So, um, you know, Val and I were like climbing and then we go into this very, well, we have the weirdest encounter ever with trail volunteers who had just opened up a fresh section of the CT. Like it used to be Jeep road, but then they like built this trail. So we were on the trail and they were all lined along the trail and they were like clapping for us. And we were like, we literally don't know what's going on right now, but thank you. We have so many more miles to walk today. Like, please just let us go. So we walk by these people and then we end up in the most beautiful valley of my entire life and there's a massive alpine lake and if you know me you know I love to take off all my clothes and get an alpine lake right unfortunately I couldn't take off all my clothes this time because there were like dudes fishing I would have though I would have but so I you know jump in the lake with my hiking clothes on and it is when I'm in the lake that we see through our limited visibility in the valley that um, there's a thunderstorm rolling in, a really dark, uh, scary looking thunderstorm. And it is when I'm in the lake and Val's like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and hike up the pass like you'll catch up to me. And I was like, OK, it is while I'm in the lake that I hear the first roll of thunder. And I'm literally in the Alpine Lake and I look up and Val's too far away and there's no cover up there. There's literally not a single tree in sight. And that is when I realized, you know what? I might get hit by lightning today. I literally, this was the one, this was the one thing I wasn't supposed to do. And it might happen on the Collegiate West right here. Okay. So I get out of the lake as fast as I can. I literally sprint up the pass. I'm probably on the Strava segment for this pass. And uh, that night, Val and I stayed in this little hostel called the Butterfly House. And feel free to do your own research on the Butterfly House. It is there that we met the guys who were doing a lot of drugs and playing a lot of hacky sack and just vibing, literally just vibing. They did the CT way differently than we did. And I have mad respect for them. Um, and so that entire day that I just described to you is all a part of the High Lonesome course. I yet again am going to be running. I found out that that lake is called Hancock Lake. 
I'm gonna be getting in Hancock Lake in at mile 45 of this goddamn hundred miler. It might be 50. I think it's like mile 50. I think I pick up my first pacer just before that at like mile 48. And obviously I picked my girl Val to come pace me at mile 48 to, you know, probably like 68. Like I'm thinking I'm gonna have her do, you know, 20-ish plus miles. <laughs> Obviously, I was tapping Valen. I'm like, dude, you are coming back on the Colorado Trail with me. You are gonna experience this PTSD with me one more time. We're gonna we're gonna do a wraparound. We are doing a wraparound on the Colorado Trail, okay? So when I realized that that was literally the lake, and I literally have a video of me in it with a thunderstorm going overhead, I was stoked, man. I was like, this honestly works out better for me than Leadville. Like, I'm not kidding. I'm more hype about this than Leadville right now. So, yeah, you can catch your girl running her second 100 miler at High Lonesome this year. I am so excited. I am so happy to have another 100 on my calendar. I feel like it adds so much purpose and clarity to my life. I love training for hundreds. I love the structure of running a 100 miler. Like, I'm so excited and, like, ready to tackle this. It's like a really long day on the Colorado Trail. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna tell myself okay and then that leads me into our third update and I can't believe we're like 15 minutes into this and I am not even done with updates so oh my god okay so we thought we were gonna be moving to Colorado maybe in June and then I got into grad school and Max brought it up to his boss that his his boss called me significant other and I don't know why I feel so honored by that but I got called the SO baby so he brought it up to his boss like hey Matt got into CU Boulder for grad school so we're gonna be moving to Colorado and it's gonna be ASAP like you guys can move me there or I will find another job there but we are moving <laughs> so his boss sends an email to his boss and is like hey um Max's SO so baby he got into grad school and um he needs to get moved and we would be willing to give him up may 1st so you know what his boss is may 1st and we're like may 1st like go off we thought we were gonna have to spend the summer apart or something then even better last week the uh project in colorado sends an email and is like dude like be ready to be here april 1st so we're getting moved April 1st and I'm so excited. Max is like, I'm bummed you're missing like the best part of North Carolina. Like you're missing the summer. And listen, I'm sure it's great here in the summer. It's not Boulder. It's not Colorado. It's not Colorado in the summer. Like I really, I'm sorry. I'm not cut out for this. I'm not cut out for the rain. I'm not cut out for the pollen that's inevitably inevitably <laughs> about to hit I'm not cut out for the bugs we've got like wasps in our home like it's just it's not it it's not it it's not it for me baby I am a Colorado gal born and raised so that is what we are going to do and I'm obviously pumped and this kind of leads into um I was talking about like you know, busting like a creative rut or someone's very specifically asked, oh, I missed one thing. Okay. On the North Carolina topic, somebody on my Instagram poll asked one thing I love about North Carolina, one thing I don't love about North Carolina. And you know what? I came strapped with more than one thing on these things. So first and foremost, um, what I love about North Carolina, um, you know, Max is here. Uh, there's like a lot of water. Um, there's a lot of creeks. I actually really, really, really love. And once I leave here, we're going to pretend I never said this. I love co I love trails on the East Coast. I love being on the Appalachian Trail. I love, um, we have this thing called the Mountains to Sea Trail in North Carolina. And it literally goes from the border of like the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee and North Carolina all the way to the coast. How did they make a trail through non-Western North Carolina? I have no idea. 
that's none of my business, but there is a trail <laughs> that's 700 miles long and you can do that. Um, so I, I love the trails out here. It's crazy how much elevation gain you can stack up. Like Max and I have been going on like long runs on Sundays and we are generally running like 4,000 feet of elevation gain on all of these runs. Like, And I learned this. I already learned. I knew this from doing the presidential traverse. Like the East Coast doesn't it doesn't mess around okay like if you want to go straight up you can and that fact has absolutely carried over in North Carolina and I'm actually loving it I love the vert training I'm disappointed we don't live at altitude but I do love I love the ability to just run up a mountain like we have mountains in our backyard I I love it so I think I was pretty generous with the things I love about North Carolina um there's not much else that I love about this place um okay so the things that I don't love about North Carolina, and if you saw my TikTok that went like crazy viral of the things that I find different about North Carolina compared to California, you probably got the hint that I don't love it here, and that's okay. It's just a phase, but here are the things I do not love about North Carolina, um, and please keep it noted. Like, uh, I always say we live in Asheville, but we don't live in Asheville. We live in a very tiny rural town that is not Asheville. And here are the things about living in a small town in North Carolina that I do not, I don't fuck with, okay? Um, first of all, everyone's super old here, you know, and respect, like, I respect that. I moved to a small town in North Carolina. What else could I expect? Um, the grocery stores are, like, it's, you. there's no sprouts out here. Um, there's, like, a Whole Foods and a Trader Joe's Nashville, but that's, you know, 40 minutes away. Um, the nearest target is 40 plus minutes away. Like these are all things that I find to be incredibly inconvenient being from, you know, I grew up in Phoenix. I went to school in Tucson and then I lived in Thousand Oaks, California. So it's not like I have exactly lived in rural America. And I know that, but, um, I don't love it. <laughs> I don't love it. You know, sometimes you just want to get a nice coffee. You want to go walk around your local target. Like it's not that deep. Also, if you hear like a weird crunching in the background, that is Arbor. Arbor, do you have to do that in here? He just looked at me like, what? He's like literally gnawing on a bone. It's insane. Go off, King. Um, I hate the weather here. It is so dark, so gloomy. It rains so much. Like I don't, I don't get it. And it's cold, but it doesn't snow really. Like we had like a very light snowing, but it wasn't enough to like go snowboarding. Like it's not a productive snow. Okay. Um. Oh God. What else is there? I I think like the way people drive. Oh my God. It's like people have never been on a road before. In general, people aren't super like outdoorsy. Well, maybe that's not true. Maybe that's just like this little community, but it doesn't feel like people are particularly outdoors motivated in North Carolina. Like we really just be in the South, you know? Yeah, those are my, I would say my primary complaints with North Carolina. I will say like I've managed to find things I enjoy doing here, obviously. Like I love the running here. I love my CrossFit gym here. Everyone's so nice and like such a good community in Asheville. But other than that, yeah, your girl is ready to get out of here. I don't like Southern food. I'm a vegetarian. Fried food hurts my tummy. Like I just, it's not for me. It's not for me. So on the topic of the depressing weather in North Carolina, yeah, you know what? I think I was going through a little seasonally depressed moment because um, it was very wet and dark for a while. And then one day the sun came out and I was like, wow, I feel happy. <laughs> I feel joy again. Um, I, I don't know what this feeling is and I, I don't know when it left my body, but I do know it's back for now. And um, that feeling is, you know, the rush of serotonin to my brain because of sunlight um so yeah your girl i i'd be going through a little seasonally depressed moment and that's probably contributing to this creative rut that i'm feeling um my life obviously is just a lot different than it was like a year ago and that's fine i don't really have any advice like functionally if you're suffering from seasonal affect disorder um they you know they have those like sunlights like the sun lamps that's probably a good alternative. <laughs> I really, I don't know, take vitamin D. Like, it's just such a, I don't know, dude. I, I need the sun. I need the sun. So, yeah, that's my little spiel on how North Carolina is going, all my life updates, moving to Colorado. Woo! So, now I have 
a couple like people be asking questions people want to know and it's funny because I don't consider this necessarily to be like a dating podcast. I think it's more just like what's going on in my life and how it is affecting me. And it's kind of fun to just share that very candidly with the world. And when I first started this podcast, it was not supposed to be a thing that people listened to. And it became a thing that people listened to, which is cool. And hello, if you found me because of this podcast, not from TikTok, not from Instagram. You are built different. (laughs) You are built different, my friends. But um, as a result of that, people, people have questions. And I didn't want to be a girl who got a boyfriend and then all she ever talked about, all she ever posted about was having a boyfriend. Um... That being said, it does make me feel not self-conscious, I guess, but it makes me overly aware of what I talk about on this podcast because it's not necessarily just like the chaotic adventure content it used to be, even though I was talking a lot about dating and growing and self-worth and all these very important interrelated topics before. But that being said, if you guys ask, I will answer. And you know what? Yes, it may be cuffing season, but it do seem like a lot of you are going through a breakup and you want advice on going through a breakup. So we're going to talk about what it's like to go through a breakup. And I am going to preface this with, I, I've i never been broken up with in a serious relationship, but I, like many great minds of our generation, have suffered tremendously at the hands of a three-month or less situationship breakup. So I, I, I feel quite informed to speak on this topic. I will give you the unhealthy version of how I tend to deal with um, breakups, but also my feelings in general before versus how I deal with things now. All right, does that sound fair? So before I would run away. <laughs> I was little miss independent. I was little miss hyper independence. I didn't need anybody. I didn't need a man, much less people depending on me. Like the idea of someone depending on me was terrifying. And you know what that is? Those are called avoidant tendencies. And you know what I didn't have before I broke up with my boyfriend of three and a half years and started dating emotionally unavailable men is avoidant tendencies. Okay. And I think that is perhaps the greatest lesson of the last, uh, I guess I was truly single for two, two and a quarter years between I broke up with my college boyfriend in July of 2020. I started dating Max in October of 2023. Oh no, 2022. So we can do the math, right? I would say, um, <laughs> you know, self-reflection is everything. I always say self-awareness is everything. And I am realizing now that I'm in a healthy relationship, I'm looking back on these past situationships and flings and the guys I was dating with like a little more clarity, a little more precision, a little more self-criticism. And I am finding, you know, I thought I knew this when I was dating. I thought I knew I was dating emotionally unavailable men because I was unavailable, according to my therapist. Um, And I think it's even deeper than that, unfortunately, (laughs) because dating someone emotionally unavailable when you are emotionally unavailable, it's like a cycle that just keeps giving. It's a self-feeding cycle. You are unavailable. You seek someone out who can't give you the commitment that you say you want. They can't see who you actually are, so you can't be rejected for who you are. And then when they inevitably leave, you can be like, well, you know, I set my boundary. I said I wouldn't, you know, sleep with someone unless I was in a committed relationship or I wouldn't. Whatever your boundary is, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm big on this, the celibacy on this pod. You've heard me all say <laughs> celibacy 2022 quite a bit, probably. Um, uh, broke it a couple times, but you know, in general, celibacy 2022 got me where I needed to be. And that is with the love of my life. Okay. So celibacy, proponent here but live your life honestly do what you want sleep with who you want 
um, just recognize that maybe you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But again, we're all different. Live your life, okay? So obviously, I went through this little breakup with my college boyfriend of three and a half years, and I didn't know I was spiraling because I thought I was okay. I broke up with him, right? So why am I hurting? And what I took so long to acknowledge is that going through a breakup like that fundamentally changes your view of commitment. It changes your view of a healthy relationship and nobody gets through life unscathed, okay? You're going to go through all these relationships that aren't healthy or like they're not the one. Like that's the point. There's there's the one. There's not like the eight. There's not like the Fidel you slept with one time and then became obsessed with and then he never spoke to you again. Like it's the one, okay? And That means that your perception of commitment, your perception of long-term commitment, your perception of what it means to be in a relationship is going to change with your relationships. And we all come away from all these relationships with fears and little wounds, and we just try to learn how to live with them. So I thought I was fine. I go through this breakup. I thought everything was chill. Um, You know, I start dating unavailable guys. I get my heart broken. I go on a boy cleanse for six months or I literally don't even look at a man. I start dating again, but I'm dating the same kinds of men. Um... (laughs) like truly the same exact kind of men it's insane I used to call the first guy I dated like blank 2.0 which was the first guy who broke my heart like it was not great okay and I learned that I was iterating (laughs) if you're not an engineer or you don't write code or anything iterating is simply when you um you get better at something each time you do it Okay, you cycle through a pattern. So, hey, I was iterating. So every time I would date an emotionally unavailable guy, I became a little more cautious. I became a little less open with my heart. I became a little less willing to just fall for someone who was so obviously going to hurt me because I wanted to be loved, but I didn't want anybody to reject me for who I am. I didn't want to be open. So things got to the point where... I mean, I had it down to a science. I literally had it down to science. It was like, okay, you have one week to prove me wrong. And if you don't, then I'm never going to speak to you again. It became like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't ideal. It just wasn't. Um, By the time I met Max, like he slid in my DMs and we started talking every day. I just assumed he was another guy who just wanted to sleep with me and then never talked to me again. And It has been so funny to be in a healthy relationship where we are both learning how to communicate in a healthy relationship effectively. We are both in therapy. Um, I have created a list of five things I would look for if I were single now, and I will bring them back up later. And that's on the list. (laughs) Therapy's on the list. Um, someone asked about communicating your emotions in a healthy relationship. You guys literally had the best questions on that Instagram poll. I think it's so cute. And one of them was literally how to communicate, like, how's the relationship going? Like, it's just like so sweet. And I obviously am going to dive a little bit into that because I think I have learned a lot and it's been important for me. So segueing from this talk of, you know, going through a breakup, I don't know if there is like a healthy way to go through a breakup. I actually think I, if I hadn't gone through what I'd gone through before finding Max, dating Max, then I would not value his stability, his security, Um, his emotional availability, like these are all traits that I would not have been prepared for if I hadn't gone through all this like emotionally unavailable, the situationships, like the self-discovery, like if I hadn't gone through literally two years of agony in the dating pool, I don't think I would have been ready for this. So I'm going to let you know right now, you're going to hurt a lot in your breakup, whether you're the one doing the breaking up or being broken up with. Um, I wouldn't say being the person who has to break up the relationship is easier. I will say you probably have more answers, (laughs) but it's definitely not an 
easier feeling and we all kind of battle these demons in different ways so if you're going through a breakup right now my heart goes out to you I want you to know you're worthy still because I think that is probably the thing that we all question the most when we go through a breakup is like how was I not good enough for this person you are worthy regardless of what one other person on this planet thinks of you keep in mind what I said there's one the one And some people get married, you know, two, three, more than one time. And that's cool too. Maybe there's a, there's the two, whatever. The point is that all of the heartache, all of the pain you're going through right now is going to make you into the person who's ready for that person, like the person. So everything you're going through, and maybe that's just, um, you know, it's called like, equanimity I think it's been a while since I've said that word oh Maggie that was weird you just like barked it chill dog oh they're gonna fight in here hey we're gonna put a stop to that right now oh god dogs are gonna get kicked out of the recording studio here shortly okay they're out um equanimity is the idea that all experiences are equal, the good, the bad. It is a primarily Buddhist concept and it just allows you to view all the experience of your life with peace, I guess, and acceptance. Acceptance is something that I in particular struggle with. I think because I'm so highly self-critical, it's difficult for me to have radical acceptance of myself, of the events of my life sometimes. But I will find that when you know, the circumstances of my life as they are currently wouldn't be possible without the previous. Um, Max and I in particular have talked about this, like the butterfly effect of things. Like we would never have met if we hadn't done X, Y, Z that seemed completely unrelated to our current relationship. (laughs) But in fact, this is the very specific set of circumstances that had to take place for us to be together now. And it's kind of nice to think of that. And so if you're in the middle of this breakup right now, dude, like I just I can't emphasize enough. Like this is all forming you into the person that you need to be. And it offers you a really great opportunity to self-reflect, decide where you want to grow Um, create yourself, create your life, go after things you want to do. Like my period of singleness was so awesome. My confidence has never been built so quickly as it was in that period without dating. Like I was so happy just to do my own thing. Like I became so independent. I became so um, self-reliant and probably, yeah, again, like too much on the side of it's a little too much. Like you need to soften a bit, but I love that period of my life and I don't regret it at all. So yeah, that's my rambly segue into what it is like to be in a healthy relationship. Let's freaking talk about it. Um, also I told Max I was recording the pod and he said, tell the gremlin girlies I say what up. So Max says what up if you're interested. So healthy relationships when you're literally traumatized like I was, honestly like Max was, um, they're terrifying. They are so scary. It was about, I had moved in with Max. It was, so it was maybe six weeks in our relationship when... I think we both started feeling like that really intense fear. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but I he has expressed some fears of his own in the relationship, which I mean, I was going along my life assuming he had no fears and it was actually incredibly informative to find out he also had fears of me leaving, of me breaking up with him. But it was about six weeks in when I realized I was living in fear and it's funny because the first like you know month two months three months like you know who's to put like a timeline on this honeymoon phase um it felt like we came out of that honeymoon phase like really abruptly like basically I moved in and it was like whoa like this is weird like there was just weird tension in our house and I think it was me like I I think it was me because Max works a lot of really long hours he's away a lot of the time and um, it's really easy to feel disconnected 
like we don't get he works 60 he works like 60 to 80 hours a week like it is so easy for us to feel disconnected because of that and that was the first time I have ever experienced that in a relationship and at first it was really difficult to kind of recognize that I was using like deactivating strategies to pull away and he sensed me pulling away and he is not somebody where if you pull away he wants to get closer which is funny because, well, he's a very securely attached human being. Like he obviously has his fears, but I wouldn't classify him as anxious attachment. Like he's very, very secure. Like he's such a stable little rock in this relationship. I mean, I think we get to take turns being the stable little rock, which I know me stable, crazy, huh? No. So I, we get to take turns like validating and being secure and like holding that position, which I think is incredibly important. So we basically we're just like, what the hell is this weird tension? Like we went from being so like lovey, like sweet, like not a conflict in the world to just like this weird thick tension in the house that neither of us knew how to communicate. And I would definitely classify myself as someone who's anxious avoidant. So like this first week that we are fighting, I'm like, not even fighting, just weird tension. I'm like, dude, like, do I need to leave? Like, is this what this is going to be like? Like I moved in and now it's like there's all this distance in this relationship. Like my mind instantly, of course, as someone who's anxious, as someone who is anxious avoidant, I was like, oh, I got to get out of here. I got to go. Your girl, I see what I needed to see. I'm ready to go. Um, And I obviously didn't leave because that is the self-sabotaging move. Like that is my pattern. Like when things get close, I get scared And it took so much reflection and digging within myself to realize I was so afraid of being seen as imperfect. I was so afraid of, uh, you know, I move in and it's like things aren't perfect all the time. And if we have conflict, like one conflict means we're going to break up because that was what I've experienced in the past. And I was just so afraid he wasn't going to think I was great anymore, which is so sad. And it's funny because I think I'm someone who has a high self-worth. I have like a lot of confidence and I know who I am. I know what, you know, I know my strengths and my skill set. And it's not really a question of my self-worth. But I think this like very deep rooted fear of abandonment is like, if you are not perfect, then you're going to be left. And it was when I decided to communicate that things got better, of course. I have realized that my like defense mechanism is to shut down. Like I become, it's like I'm like a shell of myself. I feel my nervous system shut down. I feel my chest gets tight. I feel, oh, they better not be fighting again. I feel cut off. I feel disconnected. I feel scared. I feel vulnerable. And the defense mechanism for that is to just close myself off. And it's unfortunate because I have a partner who also tends to withdraw. And so we enter in this thing of like withdrawal, withdrawal. And neither of us reaches out because we don't know, like we we didn't know how to communicate through that. I've never experienced that before. I had no idea how to communicate through that. And, you know, that was six weeks into the relationship and that was about two months ago now. And it's funny, we do this thing. Um, if you've ever heard of We're Not Really Strangers, the card game, they have a couple's version and I bought it for Valentine's Day. So we have been pulling those cards every night before we get in the shower. And we're like, oh, let's, you know, let's ask each other a question. So that's been like very important, I think, or just very uh, connecting. Like it's a very nice activity for us to do together. But essentially, like through doing that exercise, Um, We go for really long runs together and we use that as an opportunity to connect. If a conflict comes up between us, we'll go for a run together, you know, let it have some air, talk it through. And it's been so refreshing to find that my partner is somebody who wants to work through anything. And 
it's been so refreshing to realize that our communication now in this relationship is so much better than it was six weeks in. We're so rock solid, like something comes up, we can talk it through. I think that we have both put in a lot of work into recognizing how to validate the other person's emotions without like it's funny I had never even used the word villainizing or victimizing in a conflict before Max like he's somewhere along the way picked up that vocabulary and I had to I had to tell him like you cannot use the word victimize in these conflicts anymore because it's so inappropriate and I think maybe there is an underlying like fear of being seen as a bad person and he's so definitely not a bad person um I saw it was like a therapy like TikTok or something it was like one person in the relationship fears being seen as a bad person the other person fears oh god it's like abandonment or fears like not being good enough and it's like this cycle that can perpetuate itself So I've like been really conscious of the vocabulary in a conflict between me and my partner now. But the most important thing I have learned in a healthy relationship about communicating is that when you have the option to shut down or you have the option to be vulnerable and reach out and connect, you should choose vulnerability every single time. In particular, there was something that happened like a couple weeks ago. I don't even really remember the specific details of what it was, but basically Max apologized and I still felt very shut down. And it was almost like I expected him to do more until I just sat with it for a moment and I realized there was nothing more he could say to bring me back like to bring down the nervous system to bring me back from this like shutdown feeling other than I had to decide to be vulnerable be open accept that love and it was so nice it was so nice I felt so connected I felt so much better versus like shutting down like turning away in bed like not speaking like letting the tension hang in the air like we don't do that. We do not do that anymore because we've learned how to like work through these conflicts and communicate through this even on a very minute level. Like I'm somebody who wants to talk through everything and I think my partner is used to minimizing problems to save the relationship. I think he has not experienced a very direct conflict style in the past and I want to work through things. I want to make everyone in the relationship feel more secure. So Look at me, you guys. I do have my positive conflict resolution traits. I would like to thank my mom. She has a master's in social work. I would like to thank Shelly, my therapist in California. I would like to thank Christy, my North Carolina therapist. Like, I truly have learned functional, applicable conflict resolution skills, and I've learned how to be vulnerable when I really don't want to be vulnerable, but with the right person. So, those are the things I've learned in the last like two months I guess it's just been it's been a lot you know being in a healthy relationship when you are literally traumatized is not easy the first month two months maybe are like honeymoon phase but then you're just filled with fear that isn't necessarily directed at your partner but it's just that re-triggering of those old abandonment abandonment wounds that come up I And by the way, not a therapy professional. Do not take what I say as word of law. This is all experiential. This is everything I have learned through therapy and have applied in my own life, along with lots of research and self-awareness and self-reflection. But these are the things that I have found to be true. Okay, so it's not easy. And if you feel a lot of fear, that doesn't mean it's the wrong relationship it means it's probably the right one. If you're so afraid of, um, it seems like everything's okay, but you're still so scared, it probably means that this person sees you in a way that you're afraid of being seen. But, you know, I've been in a lot of relationships where I was scared, but like being disrespected. So it's a fine line. It is a fine line. So find a good one who won't disrespect you. So that being said, here are the five things I would look for if 
I had to re-enter the dating pool tomorrow. Here are the five things that I think are important in a partner that you should look for in a partner if you're dating right now. These are things that I find in my own partner that I think are very important. So without another word, the first thing that I think is so important in a partner, especially as somebody who was admittedly pretty commitment avoidant, (laughs) is dating someone who values commitment. And I mean they value commitment in the sense that they value the act of working through conflict. They value being wholly committed to one person. They understand long-term commitment. I always say it's best to be the third girlfriend. I, I have this theory that being the third girlfriend is the best girlfriend to be. And I have been told I'm sitting in that role right now. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, third girlfriend's where it's at. So I think if they have had at least two long-term relationships prior to you that ended in a healthy way, or at least in a way where they can acknowledge their own faults and take responsibility for their actions in the matter, that's a green flag. And that is the first thing I look for. The second thing that I think is very important in a partner is that they go to therapy. And I used to say somebody who wants to be in therapy But I actually don't think that that's true. I don't think that's a good substitution for actually being in therapy and using what they're learning in therapy. So that has been so interesting to have a partner who also goes to therapy because he'll be like, how would your therapy go? And I'm like, how'd your therapy go? And it's always like so interesting because our therapists have different approaches. And it's been so lovely, I guess, to witness how our communication changes as a result of the fact that we're both in therapy. And we definitely are talking about um, the potential for like couples therapy in our relationship because I think that that's a very positive resource and there shouldn't be such a stigma around it. It makes perfect sense to me that some like discussions or arguments might require like a third person to talk things through. That makes sense to me. I don't know. Relationships are work. Like I didn't really believe that relationships required a lot of work. But as a result of that, my relationship felt like they just fell into like disrepair. And that's something I really don't want to happen. So that leads me into my third very important characteristic. The third most important characteristic in a partner that I would be looking for if I had to re-enter the dating pool right now is that they have to have a growth mindset and they have to be growth oriented. I have talked a bit about fixed and growth mindsets on this podcast because it has been a topic that has been particularly influential for me in running, but I'm also looking forward to applying it in school when I go back. But essentially, I think it's important to date someone who believes that your relationship will get better with time, which sounds obvious, but it's not really something I had or experienced before. I think I have, you know, I have divorced parents, so I have this fear that's like things are just going to fall apart. But I think it's important to have a partner who is very growth oriented and who will not guide you or guide the relationship because I think that has like certain stereotypical, patriarchal like roots in it. But I do want to date someone who is at least right there next to me in growing the relationship and in believing things can get better and in seeing the value of conflict. So having a growth mindset, especially around relationships, is absolutely a requirement now. And that leads me into the fourth thing I think is very important, and that is this person's conflict management style. Uh, I think it is very important to take stock of how someone handles conflict, of course. I, in particular, am someone who's a very direct communicator. I want to talk everything through. I want to understand, you know, what came up that made you feel that way. I want to know why I feel this way. Like, I want to use 
conflict to get to know you better. And that doesn't mean starting conflict to like create a problem we need to solve because I've thought about that a lot as well, like that as just a topic in general. But I think when conflict comes up, which it will, you're two human beings in a relationship, you're always going to have conflict. That's just how it works. Um, It is super important to know that your partner is going to use conflict in a constructive and meaningful way. And this has been something we have been talking a lot about because Max is more of a conflict avoider. And I have definitely had that in previous relationships where it's like, Let's just pretend a conflict doesn't exist or like one person isn't really sharing their side of a conflict or story so they don't feel seen and that just leads to emotional distance and resentment with time. So we have been having a lot of discussions about conflict management, how we can improve in conflict and be more emotionally validating. We're both very logical people, which means, and I find myself doing this and Max definitely does it, we tend to invalidate emotions by giving like a solution which isn't, or, or try, trying to point out the logic of an emotional situation. I've definitely done this. Max has done this to me. It's, I see this all the time. It's like, but no, you shouldn't feel this way about this because of this logic. And it's like, not everything boils down to pure logic. Um, Max's therapist said this really well. Uh, you know, you, there's like the emotional side and there's the logical side. And a lot of people sway one way or the other, but you're really well balanced if you can meet in the middle and like use logic and emotion to kind of paint a complete picture of a conflict. So I've been very mindful about staying away from using that like fix it logic and more just I hear you. I understand why you feel that way. What can I do to make it better? And just like working to resolve a conflict without invalidating the other person's feelings because your feelings matter. (laughs) They are real and they matter. So learning how to validate them is very important. And especially in conflict, if you can drop the defensive act and lean into connecting in conflict and then repairing afterwards like you'll have a much more successful conflict resolution like cycle your cycle time will go down like all very important efficient things and lastly the fifth thing that I would be looking for if I were single now and I was looking for when I was single is uh you know one emotional stability And that goes hand in hand with a secure attachment style. I obviously have talked a lot about attachment styles on this podcast because it has shaped how I approach dating. Like attachment theory has guided, you know, when I decide it's safe to trust someone or like, you know, little clues I can pick up on to decide if someone is a safe and secure partner for me. And Honestly, that was the only criteria I had before I started dating Max. Like all these guys, the the fact that I had one criteria and I couldn't get anywhere because the guys I were, you know, seeing were just awful. Um, so yeah, just having someone who's very emotionally stable. Uh, I'm never cut out to be the more stable one in the relationship, and I know that I offer my moments of stability, but I'm. I'm not meant to be like the still deep waters that another person who is more turbulent needs. Like that is just not, that's never going to be me. That's never been me. Like you have to have a very stable emotional environment. I'm somebody who has, you know, high anxiety. I'm a perfectionist. Like I tend to get overwhelmed and distressed when I'm just busy and it takes Uh, A very calming, gentle presence. Like, I love to date people who aren't really worriers, who don't, you know, self-describe as worriers. That usually, like, goes pretty well for me, dating people with just a very stable emotional background. And then, of course, the secure attachment goes hand in hand with that. And it's, like, making me feel safe and secure knowing that this person I'm dating is capable of emotional intimacy. And that's, like goes back, you know, goes back to one, like they value commitment. And it even goes back to like, you know, going to therapy and this growth mindset, like all of these things 
are arguably interrelated with having a secure attachment style. So those are the five things that if I were single, that's where I would set my standard. I think that these five things are very important. I think that dating is a really big commitment. Being in a serious relationship with someone is a very big commitment. Like, I think I almost didn't even fully understand like the true like depth of that commitment until I was like already in this and then I was like oh wait like I get it (laughs) I get it a lot more now than I did that's for sure so those are my five things um we've covered a lot of topics today we've gotten into you know everything that's been going on it's been um it's been a lot but it's also been a lot of nothing it's so odd being in like this period of calmness I'm not racing every weekend it's just a very chill time and I think that's probably like the absolute best way that I could have gone into this phase of my life with is just you know there's a lot of very turbulent events going on but my day-to-day is like very slow and peaceful and I get lots of time for self-reflection out here in North Carolina that's for sure so that is the podcast today um as always, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed the podcast, um, as I always say, send it to your hottest friend, send it to your mom, tell her to say hi. Uh, it helps the podcast out to leave a review on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever platform you're on. Um, it does help the podcast out. And feel free to follow me on any of the platforms. I'm Mac Shay Smith on Instagram, Mac on the Run on TikTok, and that's pretty much everything for the day. That's where we're at. Um, I will try to be more mindful about posting on the pod. Um, I definitely have a bunch of topics to talk about, but it's really just more, you know, am I in the appropriate headspace to arrive to this podcast today? And yesterday I was. So <laughs> I will chat with you guys next time. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Okay, love you. Love you. I love you guys. Okay, okay, bye. Bye.